Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon. All the money from Patreon is being used to fund online hosting and to build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024. So keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of Willie and I's conversation about what happened at Synod 2023. So I want to dive in, um, not because I want to dwell on it, but it's helpful to just be honest and acknowledge reality. I think most Actually, I would say everyone, every single person that left Synod 2023 left discouraged in yep. some way, shape, or form. And so what what were some of those things that that discouraged you as you left Synod 2023? Oh, probably a, a number of things, but uh, I'll just talk about the ones that disappointed me uh, to the greatest degree. Um, and, and it was uh, one of the recommendations from your committee not passing, um, you know, the, the the creation of another in loco committee and, you know, m- basically means to implement discipline on a on a particular body. Um, that was that was discouraging to me because it showed that we are only willing to discipline people right now to a very minimal degree. Um, I remember having lunch and it was lunch after that recommendation had failed. And I was sitting next to two faithful brothers, um, who had been encouraging me all week. And, um, one of them said, so what do you think about what's going on? And I said, at this, I I might need an excuse, uh, to stay at this point. I might need to be convinced to remain in a body that is not going to faithfully exercise the third mark of a true church. And then I was convinced that what we did in rejecting Nealon's appeal and by telling classes, here are measures you can take when office bearers go awry and they do err. Those are forms of discipline, whether it's the entire measure that I'm comfortable with or not. Those are measures of discipline. But we're talking about discouraging things. So that was one of the things that was really discouraging to me. And it really shook my my foundations of whether or not I could remain in this denomination, which I know has implications more than just synodical implications, but even implications on this podcast. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that took a, that took a few days for me to chew on and say, no, I, I do think we are in a better position than what I think we are. But I was initially very discouraged by those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of people were, um, about how that, how that all played out and, and everything, uh, because a number of people, I mean, instructing discipline is not the same as enacting discipline, right? That's right. So, so we did, yeah, we did accomplish more than we thought, I think after just upon further reflection, but, but most the people who were encouraged by that recommendation or who were discouraged when that recommendation failed, um, there are people who are saying, this is, this is an active this this is a way forward for discipline. It's more than just saying stop it, but it's saying if you don't stop it, here is what here's what's going to be the case. And I think I think it was misrepresented uh quite a bit uh from the floor as being punitive. I mean, it was so not punitive um, right. in any shape or form. It was uh somebody said it was corrective, and I think that's a good way to understand it. It's saying, hey, if if you repent and come back to the fold, there's no punishment upon you at all. That's We're just right. saying acknowledge your repentance. I mean, that's that's a that is a Christian thing to do. And so there there was nothing punitive about it. Um, there was some disciplinary actions, of course. If if you're not going to repent, then then there's always going to be some form of some form of discipline that that's uh kathy smith said that in our in our church polity class at calvin seminary that the only thing we discipline for is lack of repentance mm-hmm. and it's like that's true um so if 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 a church or a classes are not going to repent then they're going to be disciplined that's mm-hmm. that's what it is and so um yeah that was discouraging that we didn't put some more specifics on how that is going to be carried out now there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk because I actually I talked to a number of conservatives after that who didn't vote for the new in loco committee, um, not because they didn't think that discipline should happen, but because if we created a new in loco committee, that would give Neeland another opportunity to appeal to another synod. And they were worried that it, we would end up in a perpetual motion of appeal, 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 where mm-hmm. not creating something new now. Um, they have nothing to appeal. Their appeal has been denied and there's nothing new being done for them to appeal. And so they're, they, they're kind of stuck. And so, uh, so there was some of that going on too. So, uh, but either way, it was still discouraging because we didn't see it. We don't now, we don't really see a clear path forward on, uh, on what discipline would look like if Neeland continues to, to do what it's going to do. And if Grand Rapids East continues to do what it's going, what it's been doing. And if, these other churches and classes continue to do what they're going to do. We don't have a clear path on how to, how to address that. And we were trying to help provide that clarity. Well, and that's right. And I do think it was unfortunate that a lot of these things got kicked to next year's synod. Um, And I know somebody from the floor had said, well, can you ensure that members of this committee can come back to synod next year? And the answer that was given was, well, if your classes delegates you, which to me is a non-answer, uh, because you have certain people who are not ministers of the word, uh, who are eligible to go every year. You have people who are elders and deacons who may be serving in their third term right now, or the third year of their term right now, who 
won't be eligible to go next year. What do you do about them? Mm-hmm. Um, so I did not appreciate that answer that was given uh, by the chair. If your classes lets you come back. Yeah. Um, well, and, and actually the chair said, we'll take it into consideration. If your classes sends you back, we'll take it into consideration because there, there is this uh, policy where you're not actually supposed to serve on the same committee uh, two years in a row. Right. And so there are some policies. I mean, that's not, you know, everything in church order is like ordinarily, typically, I mean, there's, that's right. We don't, we don't typically table, you know, two thirds of a committee's work mm-hmm. to another synod as well. So I think we can, you know, there's, there's an opportunity for us to do some unprecedented things and allow committee members back on that. So we'll, we'll see how that all plays forward, but. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how it all goes. I my my big discouragement on it getting tabled is not necessarily even that we put in so much work which we did into this into this committee and that it didn't get done, but my big discouragement in all of that work getting tabled is that we're setting up Synod 2024 to be another mess. That's right. Like I people need to realize like delaying these things is only going to make it worse. That's uh, I, I've told people this when I was running my own business, I learned that really quickly that if, if there was an angry customer addressing me, the longer I waited to address them, the worse it all got, the angrier they got, the messier everything got, it was better to just rip the bandaid off, deal with it now, and then move forward. And we were hoping that that would happen at this synod. Mm-hmm. And now since it got, things got tabled, now it's going to drag on and, Synod 2024 is going to have a ton of overtures before it again now. And we're going to have committees with massive workloads again. And there's going to be tension and animosity again because uh, we just didn't, we didn't do it. And we just kicked it to next year again. That's right. And as long as we are talking about discouragements, I will go ahead and publicly say I am discouraged about the leadership or rather lack thereof of our chair, Paul DeVries. After watching Synod again, which I have done now, um, I notice several occasions where he should have implemented better and proper procedure, and he did not. Where he should have limited the amount of time people spent talking to things beyond their three minutes, and he did not, where deliberation had gone on for an extremely long amount of time, and he had every right to move to cease debate by testing the will of the body, and he did not. All of these things speak to the fact that I'm not attributing everything to Paul. I think there were other things in terms of Synod's structure this year that also ate up a significant amount of time. But I think the lack of facilitation of proper order on Paul's part was a factor in us having to be in such a time crunch at the end. Um, So again, I don't lay everything at the feet of Paul DeVries, but there is a fair percentage of this that I actually am very critical of him for. And we need to be very careful when we are electing synodical officers. Um, you know, we don't want to be some a, a hard and fast, you know, if you don't follow procedure, then you're not allowed to be a delegate. And, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to be so strict on the rules. And if you're not doing things to a T, then I'm going to tell you to just sit down. I do appreciate that Paul wanted to lead with grace, Mm -hmm. but I think he erred unbelievably too far into grace to the point where anybody got to say anything they wanted. All they had to do to speak was to just say point of order. And they weren't addressing anything within the order of the recommendations. They were just talking. And that is a lack of leadership on the part of the chair. So those are my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. There was the, you know, and I, and I would agree with you too. I appreciate Paul's desire to show grace, to, to give people time to process, to listen. Um, But, but also as as people have mentioned, I mean, the, the job of synod is to get the work of the church done. We had, we had work that we needed to get done. And so you have to be able to balance all of that. And, uh, and I don't think anybody can say we had just as much work or more last year. Yes. And we were able to get all of that work done. And, uh, and we had speaker cues last year that went 40, 50 people deep and we were able to get that work done. I don't know if it ever hit that. I I was telling people we're going to see speaker cues hitting 40 or 50 people. Um, We never got there this year. It was 20, 30, maybe once it hit up close to 40, but, um, but it was that on like everything. Right. And so every, every discussion, it seemed like we had speaker cues that were jumping up into 20, 30, uh, 20, 30 people. And so, yeah, it would have been nice to see that. Um, see that some of the discussion handled better. Uh, there's a lot of people who are not speaking to the motion at hand. That's right. And, uh, and that, that was really, it, it was actually just exhausting for uh, at one point. There was a couple points where I was like, Oh my goodness, we're going to have 30 people in the queue again. Um, and we're going to talk about something that has nothing to do with what we're actually talking about right now. And so that just wore people out, I think as well. Yeah, no, I, I would completely agree with that. Um, we have synodical rules and procedures set up for a purpose and for a reason. And it is to put safeguards around the delegation. That's why I'm not saying Derek Bukema is perfect, but one thing he did very well last year is say like, please address any comments you're making to me. Don't address the body. Don't address anybody over live stream. Don't address anybody in the gallery. Make your comments to me, please. And let me bear some of this yeah. as, as the chair, which I think is proper. And that takes a lot of leadership. And that was leadership that I really wish would have been exemplified this year a lot more. Yeah. And I think it probably would have been wise. Uh, Cause I think right away after Monday, we recognized there was going to be a lot of speaking from the floor. Yep. And I think one of the wisdom things would have been, um, in our rules of procedure, you can limit before a debate even starts, before deliberation starts, we're going to limit it to this amount of time. And then after that amount of time, it can be up to the will of the body as whether to continue. We did that last year. Mm-hmm. You know, after an hour, the body would decide if we would continue to deliberate for another hour. And I think that would have been helpful to do up front um, just to, to limit it to half an hour, hour, whatever it is. Um, just so that we have those expectations set up, because I, I think what people don't recognize is, um, you know, when the kerfuffle happened at the end on Thursday, when uh, um, over the Gravam and stuff, when when Steen, Chad Steenweich was was chairing at that point, and he moved to cease debate, and the body voted to cease debate, mm-hmm. and people really kind of lost it. Um, 
we had actually been debating that for almost an hour. Right. Um, and so, so it wasn't like, it wasn't a, as quick as everybody seemed to think it was like, this was like a 10 or 15 minute deliberation. It, it was like 45 minutes or at least I think 45 minutes or more that we had been speaking to the the issue. We've been deliberating on the issue. The, you know, the, the minority report had not been taken up. Um, right. They, they had already defeated a motion to table to pick up the minority report. So people were kind of heading in that direction. Um, and we'd already been debating it for quite a while. And so, but it probably would have been helpful if at the beginning of all, all of that say, hey, we're going to limit debate deliberation to this amount of time because mm-hmm. we know we're, we're coming in. And that probably would have helped prevent some of that. But, but either way, I think, yeah, moving forward, we have to, we have to be careful about who we're, who we're wanting to elect into the, those positions because uh, it takes a lot of skill and diligence and leadership to be able to kind of guide us through those waters so that we can get the work done. Cause I think that's, that's probably the most discouraging part for everybody. I think leaving synod was that we have all of this work that did not get done. Mm-hmm. And it was really for many people, that was the conversation we had to have at synod was about Gravamen. We had mm-hmm. to come up and figure out where we're at as a denomination on this and what are the procedures in place on this. And so that's what we were needing. A lot of people wanted to come for, um, and then for it to get tabled, uh, that was really tough for people. Yeah, that most certainly was tough. And I, I want to talk just a second about Chad also. Um, I, I've heard a lot of people, you know, claim that, you know, what he did was harmful and maybe even a, an abuse of power. And all I have to say is that th- those things are not true. No. Um, all Chad did to move to cease debate was discern the will and mind of the body. And it was the body who said in an overwhelming fashion, yes, we are ready for discussion about this to be done and for voting on this matter to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that wasn't Chad. That was the body. And that is a part of the process of synod. And that is a process of the spirit being at work in the minds of the delegates that are sent to synod. Um, so I think all of this is really unfairly attributed to Chad's leadership. I think he forwarded the conversation along in a way that uh, I'm, I'm not sure I could have done any better. Um, well, and as somebody he, else, as somebody else described it to me, Chad was put in in an in an impossible situation. Um, that's right. He was left to chair with like an hour left and a lot of committee work to get done. And, uh, and the officers had made the decision. They already told us that. They That's had made right. the decision. They were going to try to get the work done. Yeah, they had a plan C in case the work didn't get done. But the goal was to try to get the work done. And I think, actually, it's unfair for people to... We, do we know that none of the other officers were part of the conversation to cease debate? Does anybody... Why, why, why would anybody assume that Chad was making this decision all on his own without mm-hmm. feedback from the other officers? That's craziness. It's um, it's because there's this suspicion around abide. That's and, right. Uh, and everybody wants to get wound up, and everybody thinks that abide is behind the scenes, politically maneuvering and pull it, pulling the puppet strings. And and my response to everybody is, if you actually knew how abide functioned, you would realize how disorganized abide is, and how little power and authority we actually have. Um, the only reason why abide seems to have all this power and authorities because we represent the majority of the denomination. Yeah. 
We're not manipulating anything. We're not rigging anything. We're just trying to follow the rules and the procedures and the doctrines and the confessions of the Christian Reformed Church. And the vast majority of the people in the Christian Reformed Church are trying to do that as well. And so um, that's why everybody thinks it's it's one of those crazy things. And so, yeah, anybody who wants to rip on Chad Steenweig for what he did, um, they need to, I guess, a reality check to mm-hmm. some degree. Because uh, he was just trying to do his job in that moment and try to help us get our work done. Yeah, I would agree. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to move on a second because we're kind of starting to come to the end. And I I would love to hear what have been some of the conversations you've had uh, with people just from your congregation or or people who are not at Synod, um, following Synod. What what kind of things have you been hearing and uh, how have people been responding to the decisions that were made? Um, I would say from the congregation at Pease, there is a bit of disappointment and discouragement about people's outbursts and about people leaving in protest in an arguably unprofessional manner. Um, they, they would say that that was really discouraging. Um, a couple of people had said, so do we have to wait another year uh, now before all this work is finally completed and we finally know where we stand on these things. And that was a hard thing to have to come back to my local congregation and tell them, yep, we're still in this for another year. Just sit tight, keep your seatbelt buckled. Um, Because then I saw them find themselves in my situation on Thursday and it's, well, why should I stick around for another year? (laughs) Um, If, if I have to stick around for this for another year and then another year, and then another year, and these issues never come to a resolution, well, then it seems like it's never going to happen. At this point, it's a war of attrition. Um, so those were some of the conversations I was in. However, they were happy with some of the things like rejecting Neelan's appeal um, and saying, well, that's good, that we're actually, to some extent, holding them to account for their behavior. Um, most of them also were very happy with the work of Committee 7. Um, And I I will say that too. That's something I I didn't say in my encouragement section here. I am very encouraged from Committee 7's work, both our unified report and our majority report, that both of them passed in their totality. Mm -hmm. Um, And I praise and thank God for that. I think that was a work of God and God alone. Um, And I thank you for the people he placed in the positions he did to facilitate those conversations and to be the reporters and chairs um, in in our um, unified body and then in our minority and majorities. Um, So those are some of the conversations I entered into. They were very happy that we retained confessional status. Um, And that was something that I was very encouraged about, too. And we did so in an overwhelming fashion. And I was very happy to see that. So those were some of the conversations I was in after Synod. Generally speaking, uh, Pease looks fairly favorably on Synod 2023. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's really helpful to uh, to hear. I think it's always important for people to hear about what's going on actually in the pew of, of everyone's congregations. It's one of the reasons why we like to ask that question. And I know some congregations are unaware, they don't really care, don't want to pay attention to what's going on at Synod, but but there are a lot of people who actually are wanting to know and they want to know what direction we're heading as a denomination. And I think I think people don't realize that 
refusing to take action is actually harming uh, people in the pew as well. They're they're getting worn out and exhausted as well. So right. I know we get accused for like this action is going to hurt people, but the reality is not taking any action is also hurting people, big time. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of people who are feeling just worn out and exhausted because um, this keeps getting drug out. Um, one of the questions we like to ask too is just what what did you learn about the CRC and about yourself at Synod 2023? Love that question. And I've been thinking about that question and I don't actually have a super definitive answer, um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you what I have so far. Um, I have learned about the Christian Reformed Church that we do believe overwhelmingly in an orthodox sexual ethic. Mm -hmm. 2022 was not a fluke, and now everybody knows it. Um, Another thing I learned, based on how events transpired uh, on Thursday at Synod, we are most certainly not together. Mm-hmm. And we're also not better together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is something that is glaringly obvious. It's not just the fact that we have two competing worldviews here. We have different definitions of sin, different definitions and implementations of discipline. Essentially, it's a different ecclesiology. It's a compl- it's a different theology. That's what it is. But on a practical level, Seeing how these conversations devolved so much shows that we are obviously not better together. Mm -hmm. Um, People say, well, which faction, which side, um, you know, the revisionists, the, the Orthodox people or the better together, you know, which, which side do you think lost? And I said, in a sense, we all did, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but who do I think lost the worst? I think it was the better together. Um, because they finally realized, wow, these things cannot coexist together. Um, so I do think that was a learning experience, not necessarily for myself, because I've been critical of Better Together for six months now, um, or however long they've been out. Um, but I do think that was good for other people to finally realize, too. Um, and it was good for me to learn that about the CRC, that we're not a denomination that gives much credence to the idea of a third way. Um, there have been several denominations that have gone before us that have split on this exact issue. And I think it is ignorant and therefore arrogant for us to think we can do it better than they can. Now, as for what I learned about myself, um, I learned, I generally do enjoy going to Synod, but not as much this year. (laughs) (laughs) Ditto. Yeah, um, it was very challenging, and it was draining. It was exhausting. Um, But that being said, I did learn that if I'm going to take a cue from anybody, it's going to be from R.C. Sproul, um, who was always the joyful warrior. Mm -hmm. Um, And he always encouraged people to defend and contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Um, also said by the apostle Jude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I learned that about myself too. Uh, as tired as I got, I do have a more renewed spirit. Um, a lot sooner than I did last year. Um, mm-hmm. I was tired after this year. 
but it did not take, it has not taken as long for me to recover this year as it did last year. Um, and I'm learning a lot of other people are, are kind of in the same boat. They knew what to expect going into Synod. And for some people, it's it was still overwhelming. And it very much is. But I'm just speaking from my own experience right now. Um, I do think that the trajectory that the CRC is heading in is in a promising direction. Um, I do believe that the marks of the true church are actually bearing their fruit in the Christian Reformed Church not in a sense that, you know, it's it's like the space shuttle taking off and it's going to be quick, but it happens like the kingdom of heaven as a mustard seed. Mm-hmm. Um, it is slow. It is incremental. And we learned it is messy. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the things that I've learned about the Christian Reformed Church and about myself through this process. Yeah. I want to say this is just a real practical thing. It's not necessarily about the Christian Reformed Church in general, but just about synod that I've learned. Um, Just after going to two synods in a row, I've learned that we cannot have big, hard discussions on Thursday. That's right. Um, That's just everybody's so tired and exhausted by the time it comes to Thursday that nobody's ready to have a hard discussion or a difficult discussion or to have it in a way that's helpful or, or even based on their own principle, people are just wore out, tired. They're ready to be done. They're ready to come home. And so we have to, I just, that was, that's one of my big learnings. We have to restructure synod so that Thursday is a day where it's more mindless um, work to get done and, and head out where all of the big heavy discussions have to happen on even Monday night, I would say Monday night, but especially Tuesday and Wednesday, we have to have them then. And Mm -hmm. so we have to structure things some way so that those big advisory committees can get their work done um, in time for us to be able to start having those discussions right away on Tuesday morning, if not even Monday night, because um, I had a lot of conversations on Thursday with people who are just worn out, tired, and they were um, just ready to be done. And they were having a hard time even making decisions that they knew they needed to make on Mm -hmm. Thursday because they were just worn out and tired. And so that's not a CRC thing. That's just a human nature thing. Um, After that long of an an intensive a week of work and and hard debate, um, we're tired and we're weak and we're wore out. And and it's hard to, to have those discussions at that point. So I also learned that, you know, the CRC still has this difficulty. Um, On the one hand, yeah, I would say like what you said, and an encouraging thing I learned about the CRC is, yeah, we are, I think we're, we've made it very clear. Somebody said after Synod on Thursday, they said, well, nobody can question where the CRC stands on human sexuality now. Um, And I think that's something we learned clearly um, at this past Synod. And yet in a negative way, we still have this, uh, we have a misunderstanding of what discipline is. That's right. And and the beauty of discipline and the benefit of discipline and how discipline actually bears fruit. And so, and just the various aspects of discipline, that discipline's not always the, the removing an office bearer, but discipline begins in initial just correction saying, hey, you did that and you shouldn't do that. And then it works through a process that leads to maybe an office bearer being removed. But uh, we just don't understand that. And I think that's something we've lost 
and it needs to be recovered. And it's going to take a bit for us to recover that. Now, I don't think it can take too long. We have to, uh, if, if we get to our next question about what do we need to do moving forward is we need to figure that out soon and start being clear on, on what the process of discipline looks like in the Christian Reformed Church. But it's been very clear that that our local churches have not been taking discipline seriously for a long time. And then that mm-hmm. has worked itself out about the denomination as a whole, where the denomination hasn't taken discipline seriously either. And so that's something we're going to have to to figure out. Yep, I would agree with that. This all starts in the local church. And this all starts from the pulpit and those sitting in the pews. This all starts with the whole council of God proclaimed every Lord's Day and people being equipped and instructed corrected, trained in righteousness in and by the word of God, by those who occupy the presbytery. Um, that is where the buck starts. Um, every Everybody thinks these decisions start at synod and then they trickle their way down. I argue it is the exact opposite. Um, we got to where we are today, I believe, from unfaithfulness in the pulpit, and in the local church. And that is how we have arrived to the decisions that our synods have made in the last few years. So that is where it starts. Um, the, the average Christian in the Christian Reformed Church will not become a minister of the word, will not bear an office, but they are still called to obedience in the word of God, to submit themselves to, who, to those whom are in authority over them, and to be placed under the discipline, not in a punitive way necessarily, but in a corrective way necessarily. Mm-hmm. In the word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting that they are the ones that are entrusted over their souls. And they are acting in a way that is in accordance to how the spirit of God is at work and how his word is revealing how we are to live. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I think that just moves us into the next question, how we want to end these episodes reflecting on synod is where do we go from here? And I would say just following up on what you said, the same thing we've been saying for a very long time, pastors preach the word of God and lead and shepherd your flock faithfully. Elders and deacons lead and shepherd your flock faithfully. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really where this needs to start and uh, needs to start in the local church. And yep, we still need to, you know, there are some conservatives who don't want to move beyond what's going on in the local church. That needs to stop too, but it still needs to start in the local church. And then it needs to filter its way up into classes being faithful and then into a denomination that's faithful. It never works top down. Um, I, I, I completely understand that. But I also want to say local churches still need to get involved in, in mm-hmm. what's going on in the denomination as well. Um, be connected and speak into this because um, we the, the denomination wants to hear your voice because you are the church. And so, um, but be faithful where you're at and then speak up into classes and into the denomination. I think that will be be a huge thing. Uh, what, what else would you say, Willie, for people who are thinking about Synod 2024? Like what types of things do you think people need to be thinking about and, and working toward? A few things. I think keep the discussions of 2023 in your mind, first and foremost, um, and don't go into 2024 
if you're a delegate or if you're an observer, um, with a preconceived idea of what is going to happen. Wait and watch for how the Spirit of God is at work in these conversations, in the advisory committees, on the floor of synod, as the deliberations and decisions are being made. Um, don't just come in saying, oh, this is exactly where I'm at. Nobody can sway me. Nobody can change my mind. Uh, because we understand that this year, not necessarily the case. Um, and I do believe that the Spirit of God, through in tandem with God's Word, is what transforms and change, changes lives and changes minds. That's that's what repentance, uh, metanoia in Greek, it means a change of direction. And, and I believe that that happens by a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that happens through the Word of God. Um, so always be centered on God's Word, his, the Scriptures, how He has revealed Himself. And also, I would say, be a prayerful people. Um, that's one of the things that I do appreciate. I, I got so many people uh, messaging me saying, hey, I understand your committee assignment. I'm praying for you. Or even if somebody was on a committee that didn't have that much work, it's, I'm praying for you. Or if they were going to be an officer at Synod, I'm praying for you. We need to be interceding on behalf of those who are going to Synod and who are going to be in these discussions. So as we look to 2024, look back on 2023 as a corrective. What things did we do right? Do those things in kind in 2024. And stand firm. As Paul says in Thessalonians, stand firm. And always be ready to contend for the truth once and for all delivered to the saints. Protect and defend what God has given us and entrusted us, which is the good deposit. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I'll just say, um, I think, you know, for many people, they, they saw Synod 2022 as being the Synod that decided where we stood on matters of sexuality as a denomination. And they were hoping that Synod 2023 would be the Synod where we determine how we live that, live those convictions out in the mm -hmm. denomination. Um, and obviously that didn't fully uh, happen at Synod 2023. We're actually, I think 2022 is where we said we were at on matters of sexuality. 23 is where we reconfirmed that and stood firm in that. Mm -hmm. um, and now we need to be looking toward 2024 to say, okay, now we know where we stand on matters of sexuality. Now 2024 has to be about how we live into that reality. In, in a lot of ways, I would say pastoral care. I don't know if pastoral care needs to be a major conversation at Synod, but it needs to be a conversation around the denomination. How do we live into this and how do we do pastoral care um, around matters of, of sexuality from an orthodox perspective? But then we also have to talk about how do we live out our convictions when there are people in our denomination who refuse to agree with where we stand on that? How do we discipline? How do we got, we're going to have to figure out the whole process of gravamen as well. And so I would encourage people to be to be studying that, uh, studying God's word on that, looking, studying theologians on that, having conversations about what does it look like um, for for denominations to do discipline faithfully, and uh, and how do we how do we see ourselves? What kind of a denomination do we want to be when it regards to the issue of gravamen? Mm -hmm. 
we, we're going to have to make that those things clear in 2024, I think, um, or things are going to get messy in, in, in a very unhelpful way. Well, and that that's the final thing that I have to say. Understand that just as 2022 and 2023 were both messy, 2024 will probably also be messy. And guess what? That should not be a surprise to anybody. If reformation, if change, if restoration is to happen for the sake of Christ's church and for his glory, it is going to be messy. We are up against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And to combat those things is messy. To be a soldier who is wearing the whole armor of God means you are headed into battle. And you are headed into a time where you will have to contend and defend the faith. But do these things in a way that is honorable, that is speaking the truth in love, that is being humble, and that your tongue is seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer such people. And to quote Herb Sure, put your big boy and your big girl pants on, <laughs> because that is what this time calls for, is for people to put on the whole armor of God and to defend the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com. Look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week to hear from other delegates about what happened at Synod 2023. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.